Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Jennifer Palmer covers education and has been looking at how Oklahoma school districts are using millions of dollars they got through the American Rescue Plan. Jennifer, you found that less than half of Oklahomans even knew about this money. What's the American Rescue Plan and how much are schools getting? So the American Rescue Plan is the basically the third um, pot of money provided by the federal government to help schools recover from the pandemic. Um, so in all across the country, there was $123 billion for education. Oklahoma got about $1.5 billion of that, and 90% of those funds just went straight to districts. Well, how's all that money going to be spent? Does it differ by district? Oh, yes, quite a bit, actually. Um, school districts were given really wide latitude to decide how to spend the funds. They um, are supposed to, you know, see what their students need and provide the supports and, um, you know, academic recovery that, that their particular student population needs. So who's making all those decisions district by district about how that money is going to get spent? And uh, have, have they sought any public input? Are they talking to parents? How are they making those decisions? Well, they're required to get public input, so I certainly hope so. Um, I've been checking with quite a few different districts, um, and their amount of public input varies quite a bit. Um, some districts did a really good job of, um, you know, holding public meetings, surveying uh, parents, you know, getting task force groups together and asking all of them. Um, some districts, their response was a little more lackluster, more checking the box than, you know, a, a really consistent effort. But it's really up to the school district and then with the school board approval on how they spend the funds. And when they get around to spending the money, I know you've looked at different districts all over the state. Um, how are some of the ways that that money is actually going to help students? Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of programs like after school programs, summer school, night school, tutoring. Um, those are all pretty consistent. Many, many school districts are implementing or beefing up what they already had to help students get some more one-on-one -on -one attention or more learning time that they may have missed through the pandemic. Um, I'm seeing in a lot of plans, things like software programs, web monitoring programs, um, lots of, you know, some devices like computers and iPads, but many of those were purchased earlier in the pandemic. This this money, you know, is just coming out this year. Um, and then I'm seeing some innovative things too, like graduation coaches and you know some some people investments. The districts have to make their plans known to the public somehow, right? And um, you found that there have been, in some cases, some complications getting that done. Right. So every school district is required um, by the federal government to post their American Rescue Plan spending plan on their website. And I've looked for quite a few of these. Some of them are just now coming out. 
Um, and I, you know, I had better luck with some than others. Some put it right on their homepage. For some, I had to dig a little deeper under the finance section or the search bar and, and you know, throw in some terms. But all districts should have their plan public at this point. When you were looking around at those, uh, did you find anything, any specifics, any of the larger districts or um, about the plans that were especially noteworthy? Um, you know, I, I'm focusing some on, in in the story that's coming out, I'm focusing on Oklahoma City and Tulsa. They got significantly more money than any other district um, based on their size of their student body and their, um, you know, proportion of students who are low income, which is the formula that it went through. And um, they're doing some, you know, pretty big things. Um, Tulsa is focusing a lot on air quality and improving the air systems in all their schools. Uh, that's It's costing a lot of money, but should not only help with COVID, but things like asthma and, and other uh, other things. And then Oklahoma City is doing some cool things like, um, you know, these graduation coaches to try to help seniors stay focused and get across the finish line and get their diploma. Great. Thanks. Uh, listeners can read all of Jennifer's education coverage and subscribe to Education Watch, her weekly newsletter at oklahomawatch.org. Paul Moneys covers Oklahoma government and has been looking at the newly revealed congressional district proposals. Paul, uh, these maps would move a large portion of people in the 5th district over to the 3rd district, adding some Democrat-heavy parts of Oklahoma City to a district that includes cities as far away as Guymon and Boys City. How's that going to help Republicans? Well, because of population growth, the legislature had to make some changes to several congressional districts. Most of those changes came in the 5th District in central Oklahoma and in the 1st District in Tulsa and surrounding areas. Now, the maps unveiled on Monday made the most drastic changes to the 5th District and the 3rd Congressional Districts. Stephanie Bice, a Republican, represents the 5th District right now, but she beat Democrat Kendra Horn in last year's election, so it's become more of a purple district under the current map. Now, Republicans in the state legislature have now carved up the southwestern portion of Oklahoma County and moved those voters into the 3rd District, represented by longtime member Frank Lucas, a rancher from Cheyenne in the far western part of Oklahoma, who's been in Congress since 1994. Many of the 181,000 people in Oklahoma County who would now be in the 3rd District are in the fast-growing south side of Oklahoma City, which is heavily Hispanic. In fact, the new parts of the congressional district include all or part of three state house seats, which are all represented by Democrats. If... That proposal shapes the 5th District to be more red. Uh, doesn't it also make the 3rd District more blue? And how would that affect Frank Lucas, who, as you said, represents the 3rd District? I mean, it does make the 3rd District a little more blue, but it also makes the 5th District a lot more red and unlikely to be the toss-up that it's become in the last few election cycles. And the changes to the 3rd District mean Frank Lucas would represent voters from the Panhandle to the Hispanic Capitol Hill District in South, South Oklahoma City. It also means he'd represent some of the dependable Democratic precincts just northwest of downtown Oklahoma City, including neighborhoods around the Plaza District, and that coincidentally would include my neighborhood of Gatewood. Uh, if this map's approved, the 3rd District is likely to remain in GOP column because so much of the western Oklahoma and the Panhandle is reliably Republican. It could get interesting, however, if Lucas decides to retire. There could be a real danger that an Oklahoma City Republican would run in that district and could be responsible for representing large parts of rural Oklahoma. Uh, that's the flip side of splitting up 
some of these like-minded communities of interest during redistricting, you might end up with a very different outcome than what politicians and their consultants intended. Well, the map, as is drawn now, would also affect the first and second districts uh, further north in the state. What would happen up there? The maps in those districts changed a little bit, but aren't as drastic. Uh, the population growth in and around Tulsa means the first district loses Washington County, that long kind of skinny county north of Tulsa that includes Bartlesville. Uh, that kind of gets moved to the second district, which encompasses most of eastern Oklahoma. And then also, as part of these changes, part of Wagoner County would get moved into the second district. The new lines would also affect state races, right? Not just uh, the national congressional races. How would that shake out? That's right. On, on the state side, the maps aren't that changed um, from the preliminary maps that came out earlier this year during the legislative session. Now, because redistricting data wasn't ready during the session, uh, the state had to estimate some of the population shifts and came up with maps that they always intended to tweak this fall. Um, lawmakers said this week there were a few minor changes here and there, but the revised state House and Senate maps follow much the same boundaries as before when they were unveil unveiled in May. Now, because of population growth, Central Oklahoma gains both the House and a Senate seat. A new Senate seat will be in Yukon, and Eastern Oklahoma County will gain a House seat. Um, map makers ensured that no incumbent legislators would be drawn out of their district, although there is one exception. Um, Senator Kim David, who is term limited, has already announced a run for the Oklahoma Corporation Commission. Her Senate seat would be moved from Wagoner near Tulsa to the Canadian County. What's been the reaction to those proposed boundaries? Well, um, Senate and House Democrats blasted the changes to the congressional maps, um, saying the GOP was trying to shore up Republican chances in central Oklahoma's 5th District by moving Democratic and Hispanic voters to the rural 3rd District. They also said the changes would split up Hispanic communities and contribute to the long-held belief that the south side of Oklahoma City gets ignored in political conversations. Uh, Republicans, for their part, said the new congressional maps preserve public sentiment to have Tinker Air Force, Air Force Base continue to be in the same congressional district as Fort Sill and ensuring a more prominent voice in Congress on military affairs. They also said the city of Oklahoma City, which stretches across Oklahoma, Cleveland, and Canadian counties, would continue to have representation in three congressional districts. Well, thanks, Paul. And listeners can be sure to read all of Paul's state government coverage at OklahomaWatch.org. Education reporter Jennifer Palmer is keeping an eye on the campaign for a new state school superintendent. Incumbent Joy Hoffmeister is term limited and has announced she'll run for governor, so her position is wide open. Jennifer, there are three declared candidates to head Oklahoma schools. Who are they? Right. So we have three uh, candidates so far. They're all Republicans. Uh, we have John Cox, who's a longtime uh, superintendent at Pegg's school, and um, April Grace, who is the superintendent at Shawnee, and Ryan Walters, who's the state secretary of education. Mm -hmm. uh, John Cox has run for this post before, hasn't he? He has. This will be his third run, his first as a Republican. He challenged Joy um, in 2014 and 2018. He ran as a Democrat previously, didn't he? He did. Ryan Walters is already the education secretary and appointment of Governor Stitz. Does that help his chances? I think it will. I mean, he's certainly got some political clout and some name recognition, and, and that should probably help. April Grace, uh, now the superintendent in Shawnee, probably has the least statewide name recognition of the three candidates. Is that likely to matter? 
Well, she is known uh, in the education community quite a bit, and she won, um, you know, Superintendent of the Year this year. So I think a lot of folks in education, now outside of education, you know, maybe not as much. Fundraising certainly is a critical component for any candidate. How much are these three raising, and where's the money coming from? So it's really early. Um, We just got our first look at uh, third quarter reports. And so far, April Grace is actually in in the lead with about $136,000 that she's raised so far. Ryan Walters is close behind, $104,000. And John Cox has raised about $20,000. you know, April Grace, a lot of her contributions are from educators across the state. Um, educators tend to make, you know, smaller incremental, um, but more regular uh, donations to campaigns. And that's certainly what we're seeing with her. Uh, Ryan Walters, though, um, you know, we're seeing some big names, some big funders in, in his campaign. Uh, you know, the Rainbolts, uh, Larry Nichols, uh, Trent Smith, who's on the State Board of Education, made a donation. And, and Kevin Stitt, the governor, did as well. All all of those gave the maximum, which is $2,900. Well, interesting. You can follow Jennifer's ongoing coverage of the race to run Oklahoma schools at oklahomawatch.org. I'm Ted Struley, Oklahoma Watch Executive Director. We'd like you to know that we're a 501c3 And in order to bring you consistent, investigative, nonpartisan journalism throughout Oklahoma, we rely on donors like you. During the months of November and December, we participated in a program called Newsmatch, where a couple of large public foundations match every single dollar that readers and listeners like you contribute to our organization. If you value the news that we provide, you can go to oklahomawatch.org, go to our donation page, and every dollar that you're able to donate will be matched by the Newsmatch program from now through the end of the year. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch. You can find those stories on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.